In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. So it's another day in the world of the Lions. Coordinators talk today. Thought a couple of interesting things came out of there. I'll just talk about them really quick and then we'll get to the mailbag as it is Wednesday, which means mailbag time. So the first thing is this. Daryl Bevel was asked whether he still has head coaching aspirations. He said that, yes, he does one day and that it's something that he's been chasing for a long time. Remember that Bevel was a hot head coaching candidate name when he was the OC with the Seahawks before the Marshawn not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch, leading to the Malcolm Butler interception, final play of the Patriots Super Bowl. Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl that we all know that really hurt his head coaching candidacies in a lot of places and a lot of ways and there's since been question about whether that was Bevel's call or whether that was Pete Carroll's call and you know it's something that obviously I know some Seahawks fans that I know still haven't gotten over but that really deterred what was a very strong arc for Daryl Bevel to eventually become a head coach I think he's since done some career repairs. I think the job he's done largely in Detroit has been positive, even though I know that there are complaints about certain things. I think if you listen to the podcast on Tuesday, you heard Cynthia Freeland talk a bit about how they decided to use DeAndre Swift and how they built him up confidence-wise. I actually asked Daryl Bevel about that today, and here's kind of what Daryl Bevel said about that. Uh, and if really Sunday was how they envisioned using him, quote, yeah, I think it's kind of been a process for him coming in. He wasn't able to get as many reps as we hoped that we that he would at the start of training camp with some of the things that he was working through. So I feel like we've got him up to speed. He's in a good spot and then showed up in the game. He did a great job with the run game. We were able to get him involved in the pass game as well. As you watch the games prior, I think you can kind of see some of the things that were coming and how we were using him. He stepped up and quote. And he's right, because if you remember, not only was there no spring and there are no preseason games, but if you remember, DeAndre Swift was hurt for a large majority of training camp. So they almost had to work him in like this to keep him from being overwhelmed, because as Cynthia said, you know, there is more than just running right, running left to figure out. And I think that they handled him really well. And I think that's a credit to two people. 
maybe three, depending on how you view Matt Patricia in that. But I definitely think it's a credit to Kyle Kasky, their running backs coach, who, by the way, is a very good running backs coach. And he's another guy that maybe one day gets a look as a head coach. And also Daryl Bevel, who's the offensive coordinator. I think that they both handled DeAndre Swift very smartly. So that ties back into, you know, things like that are things you can point to when it comes to player development, comes to how you handle players that can be attractive potentially down the road for him. I can't imagine Daryl Bell was going to get many looks this year just because of kind of how the Lions have been, but maybe down the road it happens for him. The other thing that I think was really interesting was Braden Coombs' entire press conference Go find it on the Lions website. It went about 15, 20 minutes. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I think that he's a head coach. One, He's a future head coach one day. He just has that it factor. And whether you want to believe it or not, how you handle the media does matter, especially unless you get to Bill Belichick levels. But how you approach yourself, how you handle yourself in the media does matter. And he's got that down. Remember, most of us have met him once, if at all. And only the people who went down to the Senior Bowl really even met him once. And it was very quick. But he's really sharp. He addresses every reporter by name. And these are, again, little things. But sometimes it's the little things that matter. But go and listen to his answers. They're real answers. They give actual information. And they're thoughtful and they're thorough. And you can get away with that more as a coordinator. And Bevel's answers and Corey Unla's answers can be similar at times. But just... Just go and listen to it because I, I think you'll get something out of it and you'll learn something about him and also maybe get a sense of why I've been so high on him as a potential one day down the road head coach. So now let's just jump right into the mailbag questions. We'll start with Bobby43076, who asks, why are they not trotting out on Johnson as the number two running back? So... That's a fair question. It's one I've asked. It's one I've written. If you read my story last week on ESPN.com, you saw that I felt that Carryon Johnson was finally finding his way. So I think there's good reason for him to be that. I think you're maybe slowly starting to see that phase happen. Adrian Peterson had the fewest snaps of the three running backs on Sunday. Now, some of that, I think, was how good DeAndre Swift was playing, but... That's a sign of things to come, I think. Now, I mean, he was, I think, what, one or two snaps behind on Johnson, so it's not like it was a massive drop, and I think it could end up being somewhat game script dependent, too, on how much they use Peterson and if Peterson's running well, and I thought Peterson actually ran well. Of course, on Johnson didn't get any carries, or I think maybe he got one carry. But overall, I think that you could see that shift eventually happen. I don't think they'll ever go completely away from Peterson this season, but you might see more of Carryon Johnson as the spell to DeAndre Swift, especially I think if you're in situations where they're down and they need to come back and they need to get DeAndre Swift a breather. That to me is where I think you might see Carryon Johnson more than Adrian Peterson because Carryon Johnson's a little bit more of a pass cashing option out of the backfield than Peterson is. But it's DeAndre Swift's show at this point, and then whichever one of those guys they bring in to spell him, I think it could be six of one, half of the other for now. But I thought Peterson in that smaller role actually did well, so wouldn't hold your breath too much on that. 
Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at FriedrichsJK, asks, who do I think is most likely to get a contract extension from the Lions? Tyrell Crosby, Tracy Walker, Romeo Aquara, or Matt Prater? That's a really good question, and it's one that's essentially unanswerable at the moment until we know what's going on with the coaching staff. Because here's why. So Tyrell Crosby and Tracy Walker still have a year left. So that's a year away. That's potentially a new regime away. And I I can't see either one of those happening right away. Now, if Crosby were willing to take maybe a, a smaller deal, perhaps, but we'll see kind of what that looks like. Tracy Walker, admittedly, as he even said, has not had the best season So I would imagine that he would want to go into next season being able to play well for an entire year and really try to drive his market value up. Which leads us to Romeo Aquara and Matt Prater. Now, for different reasons, they might get done or they might not. Now, Matt Prater, probably of all of them, is the most likely to get an extension from the Lions. I think he's shown that he's fixed his issues. He's somebody who said on this very podcast he's like to be here the rest of his career. And, yeah, I, I think they'll get something done with him. His family's in the area. They bought a home in the area. So I think he's here, and maybe here even regardless of whether or not he's with the team anymore uh, at this point because of his age. But to me, I think you find a way to get it done with Matt Prater. Maybe it's not like a five-year deal or anything like that, but maybe you sign him to another you know, to a two- or three-year deal because he still has the leg. There's no question about that. He still has the accuracy. There was some question, but I think that that's been answered, and he's still incredibly clutch. He still hasn't missed a game-tying or game-winning field goal with two minutes left in regulation or in overtime yet in his career, which is unfathomable considering how long he's played and that he's played in Denver, which was outside as well, so it's not just domed environments, which leads us to Romeo Aquara. And Romeo Aquara, the way he's playing right now, is about to get paid because pass rushers are hard to find, hence the Lions having a tough time finding them and other teams having a tough time finding them. So Romeo Aquara, I think, is going to get a good amount of money from somebody this offseason. Is that the Lions? I don't know. That could completely depend on who the coaching staff is because let's be honest, if you bring in a new staff and it's not maybe a great fit for Aquara, or maybe they don't think he's, they don't value him as much as I think the Lions do. Maybe they look somewhere else. Maybe he wants to look somewhere else. Obviously, there is the appeal for him of being able to play with his brother. He hasn't been able to do that as much this year because Julian Aquara has been on injured reserve. So that could be a pull for him. And I don't know if I'm the Lions, I would really try and make to make him a very fair offer and kind of see where that goes and see if you can get it done. Now, do I think that would happen before the end of the season? No, probably not. Again, I think there's just so many questions around the future of this franchise. But whether it's this regime or a new one, I think that you have conversations about trying to get Romeo Aquara back with the Lions. Because here's the other thing as well. It's not like Romeo Aquara is this one-hit wonder as far as a pass rusher. Like, oh, I don't know, Nick Williams or George Johnson or so many other players that we've talked about 
over the past few years with the Lions and other teams. Aquara's done it over multiple years. He didn't have the best 2019 season, but he was a good pass rusher in 2018. And he is a better pass rusher in 2020. And he's handled one I mean, right now, one-on-ones, he's winning those. And he's winning them a decent amount. So that's another reason why I would sign him. Another name that you didn't throw in there, Jeremy, but I will put in there is Everson Griffin. I don't think Everson Griffin would get this massive deal at this point because he's over 30, but pass rushers usually seem to have a longer lifespan in the NFL, seem to play longer at a high level. Guys like Calais Campbell, guys like Terrell Suggs, guys like Chandler Jones. So I think that Everson Griffin's another guy that you can maybe ask, well, what are the Lions going to do with him? And again, that could be coaching staff dependent, scheme dependent. But I would wonder what how the Lions feel about that because they seem to really, really like what he's doing. He had five quarterback hits on Sunday on Alex Smith. If he keeps playing as he is, he's showing that he deserves some type of pretty good contract. And honestly, the Lions may have to decide whether they want to go with Griffin or with Aquara because I don't think that they can get away with signing both, especially since the money they have invested already in Trey Flowers. And I don't see Trey Flowers going anywhere so fast because Trey Flowers is also a very good defensive end, if not the elite elite pass rusher that maybe you thought he was. So those are going to be questions that have to be asked in the offseason for whoever the general manager and head coach end up being. And I don't see them bringing both of those guys back, but if I'm the Lions, no matter who it is, I would bring one of them back. And with that, we will go to our break. Thank you for listening to the Michael Rothstein Show, and we'll be back right after this. (music) 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over, much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. 
And football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us through the break. The next question comes from Gar Johnson. Gar asks, why is Detroit a head coaching graveyard? Do GM slash ownership just choose the wrong guys or is it something else? Also, does Matt Patricia get another head coaching job, assuming that the Lions release him at some point this year? He seems like an average coordinator at best. Okay, so a few things to unpack here as we're now entering the Matt Patricia section of this podcast and this mailbag. Uh, as far as why it's a head coaching graveyard, I don't have a great answer for that. Uh, I, I don't know why. I think some of it could be a combination of hiring guys kind of at the tail end of their careers. Guys go into TV like Mariucci after. Uh, Jim Caldwell, I still think, could get another head coaching job. At, at, you know, Obviously, the stat's well known that no – coaches left Detroit and then gotten another NFL head coaching gig in really the modern era, or at least, you know, in a long, long time. So I think that that's possible. I also think at some point, Jim Schwartz could end up getting another head coaching gig. Uh, usually you don't see guys go from head coaching gig to get head coaching gig unless you've won a lot. And that's part of it that teams in Detroit don't win a lot. And that is part of the issue and part of the problem. Uh, so I think that that's, that's part of it. Um, I really don't know otherwise. Bad luck, bad some bad decisions. Uh, you know, for a while, obviously their general manager situation was a little bit weird and murky. Whether it was Matt Millen, whether it was you know Russ Thomas, like some of the some of those decisions that were being made. And I mean, I think Martin Mayhew was a decent general manager considering what he had to take over and what he left the left it as Bob Quinn, I think has made some good decisions, not all good decisions, but some good decisions. So I don't know. It, it's a really, really interesting question. Probably one that deserves more research than what I'm putting in right now. And, and what we're talking about. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's ownership. I know that, you know, people like to bag on ownership and bag on the Fords, but I mean, they're not the ones actually down there calling the plays and, and making the decisions. If anything, they're viewed as, frankly, good employers to work for because they generally are patient and give you time to see your vision through. Uh, and that vision just a lot of times hasn't really worked out. As far as Matt Patricia getting another head coaching job, man, I don't know. I mean, listen, he's young enough that – it's entirely possible, but it's not like he's going to get another one, at least an NFL head coaching job, right away out of this. 
I mean, if he ends up losing this job, like uh, this year, I, I don't see that happening. I, I think he's going to have to go back and be an assistant coach or or a coordinator somewhere for a while. Um, and then maybe you see what happens down the road. And listen, sometimes it doesn't work for guys in their first stops. Bill Belichick didn't totally work for him in the first stop, although there were some extenuating circumstances there with the team moving from Cleveland to Baltimore. Pete Carroll didn't totally work in his first couple of NFL stops. And obviously, I think anyone would take him now with the Seahawks. You see it other places that sometimes it just doesn't work that first time around. And that second time around, you end up figuring it out a little bit more. Does Patricia get that chance? Again, I think he's young. I think he would probably have to be an assistant for a while, though, to get people to kind of forget what happened in Detroit and how badly it went for him to really get that type of opportunity. But I don't know. That That's a really tough question. And, and right now I would probably say no because I, I think a lot of times you, you see, much like general managers, head coaches really only get one, one true shot uh, unless they can really prove it otherwise. Honolulu Blues is at HBromo1 asks, does Patricia – deserve any credit for at all for pulling off these last second wins this year to me it's the other two mats meaning Matthew Stafford and Matt Prater but I'm biased I think he deserves some for sure um I think that the more Atlanta than Washington obviously Todd Gurley makes the mistake that he makes there but as Patricia had said and as players had indicated that Patricia basically told them, hey, listen, you know, let him score. We want the offense to have the ball back, uh, more or less, because you knew the situation. I thought that was actually good situational football. Now, Will Harris, you know, whether he meant to make that tackle, try to make that tackle or not, uh, it ended up working out for the Lions. But I I give Patricia credit on that one. I thought that that was a smart decision, smart call. Um so I, I would give him credit there. The Washington one, I mean, no, probably not, just because, frankly, the Lions were up 24-3 to and shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. And sure, some of that is on players, but some of that is on coaching. And I, I have a tough time giving him credit for – winning that game at the end when that game should have been put away well before. And of course there is the argument. I've talked to a bunch of people this week, both within the lions and and elsewhere who said that they felt that the pass interference call on Desmond Trufant that extended the game and really gave Washington the chance there anyway, initially was kind of a bunk call. And I agree with that. I thought it was very ticky tack. I thought at that situation, you don't call that. So, I think Patricia maybe gets a little bit more credit if they get that stop there. So that's part of it too. But those are all things that end up playing into the game, right? Uh, so I don't know. I, I would give him credit for in Atlanta, though, without a doubt. Uh, I would give him credit in Arizona. I thought that that was a well-managed game. So that's what? Three of their four wins – there are three close wins. I would get for as much blame as we put on Matt Patricia for losses. I would give him credit, like a good amount of credit in two of those three wins for making good decisions, playing smart situational football. And I will say this too, for 
as much as Matt Patricia gets bagged on, and we've seen that in national media over the past week with stories in Bleacher Report and Sports Illustrated. Obviously, I ask Matt Patricia tough questions a lot of times uh, and elsewhere that this team is still playing for him and they're still playing hard for him and they're still playing to win games at the end. And I give Matt Patricia a lot of credit for that because he's been able to hold this team together through that. And I think there's something valuable there and something worthwhile there that is maybe getting a little bit overlooked when you're talking about the job that he has done this year. And obviously it's not a great job. It's not even a good job. It's maybe a mediocre job, but where this team was with what happened in week one with how they started one and three, this could have gone really far South really quick. And yes, these are inferior opponents and frankly, they're opponents they should be beating, but I give them credit for still winning those games. Now, we'll see what happens here the next three weeks because these next three games are games that, frankly, the Lions should either win or are at, you know, at worst toss-up games leading into Green Bay that if the Lions win these next three, win two of the next three, then I think you can start having real conversations about Matt Patricia. But... Uh, yeah, I give. I know there's a long answer, but I I do give him credit for two of the three last second wins. I think that they were in good positions. He made smart decisions, and it went from there. The Washington one, I mean, you just don't blow a 24-3 lead. You just just don't don't do that. So Big Rue, who's at Rue Boy one two nine seven four, asks. What are the chances of DeAndre Swift being the next ruined Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, or Matthew Stafford on this franchise? He's a rookie. I'm not going to even really go there all that much. Um, other than to say, every time that someone mentions Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, and Matthew Stafford and kind of what their careers have been so far, it does shake my head. I do shake my head that combined they've got one playoff win and they've got what? two divisional titles among them and these are two surefire hall of famers and a guy who's going to finish his career in the top 20 in every maybe even the top 10 in every passing statistical category and you just could now granted you know Barry didn't play with these guys and it would have been really interesting to see the three of them together uh that would have been a dynamic team offense at least but yeah, I mean, you had Calvin and Stafford together for a few years, and obviously Schwartz got a 5,000, you know, Schwartz and Scott Lanahan got a 5,000-yard season out of Stafford with that. They got Calvin Johnson to set the receiver record, all-time receiving yards record in a single season out of that. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's super interesting. But I wouldn't put DeAndre Swift anywhere near, nowhere near that category yet. He's got to get through his first season and then his second season and then his third season first before you even start having that type of conversation. He's not on that level. If you listen to the podcast on Tuesday, you heard my comps of him, which are Joyk Bell and and Reggie Bush, like a combination of both of them. And I think it, right now he's just got to show he can get to that level. And you know, then you can start having conversations about the next one. So I'm guessing that was a little tongue-in-cheek, tongue but that's how I'm answering it. Rob Johnson, who's at... REJ Inc. Worldwide 
So far, 0 for more 4 in the mailbag, but I have a theory. I apologize, by the way, about that. Sheila Fordhamp wants Eric Bieniemy. She knows that he and Andy Reid have built that team around speed. Galladay is great, but not a burner, so she doesn't want to put $100 million in a wide receiver who doesn't fit his mold. Is that possible? I mean, I've never thought of it like that, but I think that that's, that's a lot. Um, I Listen, if the Lions... Get rid of Matt Patricia if they sign Eric Bieniemy. Sure, that's a question that could come up to Sheila at some point. Of you know, did you not want to sign Kenny Galladay to a long-term extension because you want to make sure he fit with whatever offense was going to be run long-term? Sure, I think that that's a fair question. But I've, as I've said, I think Kenny Galladay is scheme agnostic. In this, I think that he is a guy that's one of the best contested ball receivers in the NFL, and that is valuable no matter what scheme you are in. While I agree that Eric Bieniemy probably would run a system built around speed, and you see it with, obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Tyreek Hill and, and everything that they're doing in Kansas City, I would imagine that Eric Bieniemy would find a way to work with Kenny Galladay and, and make him still a really good receiver. I mean, Kenny Galladay in that Kansas City offense would be dynamic as well. Again, I think Galladay is a scheme agnostic player, but it goes back to something that Jim Caldwell has said since he he said it on the Glover Quinch podcast a few months ago, which is, you know, you you find a way to work with the good players that you have. You don't run off good players, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I've said that, you know, you don't get rid of good players, and Kenny Galladay, you don't get rid of him just because maybe – you know, this or that, like you find a way to work with the guy if you're a good head coach. And to me, I think that that has nothing to do with that. I think it's a money issue with Kenny Galladay. I think that he's even hinted at that. And I think he wants to get paid and I don't blame him because if he does sign a five or six year deal, this is probably the only big time deal he signs because he's 20, he's 27 years old right now. It's not like he's 24, 25 where, you get you sign a three year deal, four year deal. You're gonna get another potential big time deal. Receivers after thirty don't necessarily get those big time deals, or maybe they get one more, but it's not gonna be a long term one. Something Marvin Jones is probably gonna find out after the season. So, I I understand your question. It's an interesting theory, but I think that that's just way too much of if this then that at this point to to make that happen and. I think that, frankly, unless you're going to go, if you get rid of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, let's just, for argument's sake, say that happens. Unless you're going to go hire the head coach first, you're probably going to give the general manager some autonomy to hire the head coach. I mean, obviously, you'll have input and you'll be very much in that decision. But to me, unless you're hiring the head coach first, which we saw in Washington, but I don't know whether someone would want to give Eric Bieniemy that type of control and power considering he hasn't done it before Ron Rivera had done it before and done it well that uh, I don't know that that's it just seems a little far-fetched but I get where you're coming from it's an interesting point Chuck Bowers who's at real Chuck Bowers asks how is Patricia still the coach when he is so obvious he is in over his head second how is Quinn still general manager when the roster is depleted of talent and he hired Patricia so a couple of things there. Obviously, 
As we talked about earlier, the Fords generally are patient owners. They'll see the vision through. Sheila Ford Hamp said when they made the decision to bring Bob and Matt back for the 2020 season, she said she knew this wasn't going to be the popular decision, but she felt it was the right one. We will see, obviously, what that is. Now, obviously, at that time, we didn't know that they were there was a potential for the transition plan that ended up happening in June with ownership. So that could have been part of it, too. So I don't know. I mean, you give a coach time to figure it out and to, to feel the vision out. I, I agree with that. I think I have no problem with them giving a coach three years uh, when you're in the NFL especially if you're going to have to do some sort of teardown. And I think part of the problem for Matt Patricia and Quinn with him is that they didn't really explain that that was what was going to happen, even though it was pretty clear that that's what was happening. And I think that that has hurt them since day one. Other things have hurt Patricia since before the start of that first season, from the intensity of the training camp to the -the off-the-field issues to how he handled basically everything in year one. And I think he's learned and gotten better as a coach. I think he's grown as a coach. I've said that throughout really the last year. I've really believed that. I still do. So this might not end well for Matt Patricia here in Detroit. But the fact that he got a third year, I mean, okay. Like, would I have done it? I don't know. Uh, That would have been a tough call for me. But I get why the Lions chose to do that. And as far as Bob Quinn, I mean, I don't think it's deplete of talent. I think that they have – he Bob Quinn, it took him a while. And it took him some rotating and, and some misses with Rick Wagner and TJ Lang. But he's built a really good offensive line. And that's all Bob Quinn. And, you know, you can wonder, too, if they ended up – if they knew Vitae was going to be what he ended up becoming – Maybe they would have paid Graham Glasgow, and then who knows what this line would have looked like because I think Glasgow would have been a a better fit at that point and at this point still than uh, than what Vitae has brought as a guard. So you look at it, he's done really good there. He's done well at wide receiver because Marvin Jones was his first big signing. Kenny Galladay was one of his big draft picks. And I think he's done a pretty good job building – the receiver core. Um, DeAndre Swift looks like a gem. on Johnson was a good back that was just plagued by injuries and is still showing value. So I think offensively, Hawkinson's looking more and more like a good player and maybe a guy that could end up by the end of it being one of the top two or three tight ends in the NFL. And if that ends up happening, sure, I think that the number eight pick works there because you weren't going to get that guy in round two. Uh, So that to me, again, maybe will end up panning out well. Shari's had some misses. There's no doubt about that. Jesse James, when you're looking at tight end being one of them. Defensively, has been a little bit trickier. I think the trade for Deron Harmon was a good one. I think the signing of Trey Flowers, even though it costs a lot of money, you're always going to overpay for free agents, was a good one. Claiming Romeo Aquara was a very good move by Bob Quinn. So I think that he he gets a bad rap because some of the big standout misses. Like there's not a, a defensive star that he drafted in the first round, although he could end up 
drafting two pro bowlers in Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker. And those are wins. And I think that that often gets overlooked when you're talking about Bob Quinn because people look at Jared Davis. And people look at the second round issues that they've had, notably Tease Tabor and maybe Jelani Tavai and, and some of the reaching that he's done. But I think he's done an okay job constructing the roster. Linebacker is a mess. Some of the def- the fact that he doesn't pay a ton of attention to the defensive line is problematic. But moreover, I think he's done a pretty good job overall constructing the roster. I don't think it's depleted of talent at a lot of positions. I think that there's just positions that they've really been faulty at, mostly in the front seven. Alex Plungus asks, Mike, Sheila Fordhamp asked for meaningful football in December. Most likely we're going to have that. Why are fans, media, et cetera, setting themselves and fans up for an almost foregone conclusion that both will be fired when they're essentially meeting ownership mandates? That's a fair question. However, I will say this, that meaningful games in December might look differently to the Lions ownership than it does to the fans. And, and it was left murky specifically because Sheila Ford Hamp also said major improvement. And I don't think you can say that there's been major improvement. I think you can maybe say there's been minor improvement. I don't even know if you can say that because they are basically where they were in year one of Matt Patricia's tenure and before Stafford got hurt in year two of Matt Patricia's tenure. They're right in basically the same spot. So there's also that mandate. Uh, I think that they left it nebulous purposely. I would take more what she said in June than what was said last December. And really the meaningful football thing, if I'm remembering this correctly, was a last December conversation she Sheila Fordham might have said it in June as well but the major improvement is the goal was absolutely said in June and I would look at that and I think that Sheila Fordham is going to take it all into consideration because don't forget too part of why Bob Quinn got rid of Jim Caldwell was because they couldn't beat the good teams and that was why they got rid of them well so far other than Arizona this year and the Patriots in year one very rarely has Matt Patricia beaten a good team because Washington, not a good team. Atlanta, not a good team. Jacksonville, really not a good team. Matt Patricia will have chances to do that in December. If he's still the head coach at that point of which at this point, I feel like he will be. He'll have those chances because they play Tennessee. They play Tampa. Minnesota looks like they're getting their stuff together. Green Bay, is good. That's their last four games of the year. So Matt Patricia, if he gets to keep his job with major improvement, will likely have earned it somewhere in that month of December. And you kind of see where it goes from there. So I don't know. I, I'm i not trying to set anybody else up for anything. I I mean, I think it's just they are immediate. They are the I've covered a lot of bad and mediocre football in my career. I have. We've talked about it before. From the University of Virginia to Notre Dame to Michigan to the Lions. I've covered a lot of mediocre to bad football because I covered the four year, first four years of Charlie Weiss and then the last two years of Rich Rod and the first years of Brady Hoke. A lot of bad, bad and mediocre football. I know bad and mediocre football when I've seen it, and this is mediocre football. Probably leaning more toward bad than good. 
but mediocre football because it's a team that just kind of goes back and forth, ends up somewhere in the, you know, six and ten to nine and seven range, and that's where I think this team is going to end up being. And will that be enough for Sheila Fordham? I don't know. I think it could depend whether or not it's six and ten or nine and seven. And if you're getting a nine and seven, either you're winning the next three, and then pulling off and then like I was talking about beating good teams in December when you're playing those quote unquote meaningful games you get to that you can have an argument they end up seven and nine six and ten and the teams they've beaten less for argument's sake say Chicago Houston Carolina Washington Green uh, Washington Arizona Jacksonville and Atlanta like so say they're seven and nine because I think that would be seven and nine let's say that there's only one good team in that bunch because the Bears are, are not a good team either. They're they're a mediocre team that's that's falling really quickly. So I think that that's going to be part of the argument too. Just saying, I think there's a it's nebulous for a reason and it's good discussion, but that's just the reality of everything with it. Alan Pearlstein, who's at Al the Lion, is ranking the Patricia era somewhere between the Morningwag era and the Marinelli era in terms of overall accomplishment, a fair assessment. How do you think the Quinn era ranks with the Millen era? I mean, right now, I think record-wise, that's fair. Um, I would put it above the Marinelli era, but that's just because there's no 0-16. Um, I would put it a little bit ahead of the Morningwag era. But again, I don't have a great grasp of that era, frankly. Um, but record-wise, I would say, yeah, you're probably looking in that area when you're looking at record. That's not good. Matt Patricia's still the head coach, though, so he does have time to improve that. But right now, record-wise, yeah, it's in that realm. As far as the Quinn era compared to the Millen era, man, Bob Quinn's done a better job than Matt Millen. Like, he just has. Like, that's just the reality of it. People bag on Bob Quinn, and if you look at overall his success, he's had success. I mean, yes, he made some really bad decisions, and yes— the moving on from Jim Caldwell and replacing him with Matt Patricia with saying that that's going to be what's going to get them over the hump and then what's happened happened is an epically bad decision that if Bob Quinn loses his job everything will point to that like that decision will be the key one because you made a change in your coach after back-to-back winning seasons that's that's a tough thing to to overcome if you lose but to compare Bob Quinn and Matt Millen is not fair. I think that that's fans being angry. Bob Quinn has been better than Matt Millen. Overall, on the whole, to me, without a doubt, Bob Quinn has been a better general manager than Matt Millen. I think he's been a smarter general manager than Matt Millen. I think he's made more good decisions than Matt Millen did during Matt Millen's time as the general manager. Just saying. I mean, I don't even think it's a question. Doug McGreedy asks, or McCready asks, Mike, the Lions seem to lack any intensity on defense, poor tackling, low energy, plus so many penalties. I've seen a regression with the new defensive coordinator, Corey Undlin. Who is to blame? I, I wouldn't say it's lack of intensity, although I, I think that in some cases they're just tired. They've had some time of possession issues towards the end of games, and, and dudes just get tired they've dealt with some injuries and that can force guys to play more snaps than maybe they were anticipating um 
I don't know. I think the energy's been okay defensively. Um, I think there's just mistakes. I just think in some areas there's just a talent deficit, uh, like we were talking about in the front seven earlier. Uh, the penalties have been – I don't feel like they've had a ton. Obviously, some of them have been really bad and poorly timed, but some of them like that – you know, if you're going to talk about penalties and you're going to talk about that Desmond Trufant penalty, which you're not bringing up, but I'll bring up, like I don't necessarily think that should have been a penalty. So, I don't know. I mean, as far as a regression with Corey Unlin, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that because think of how they started out the season. I think Unlin is finding his way as a defensive coordinator. I think he's adjusting. I think he's learning. I know he clearly doesn't like the man versus zone questions, which I've been asking a lot and others have. I asked them that on Tuesday. So... I don't think he's regressing. I think it's, you know, just learning growing pains with a first-year defensive coordinator. And that should have been expected. And it's why going into a must-win year with a first-time defensive coordinator is a dicey proposition when you're going to have him call plays. But Matt Patricia is a defensive-minded head coach. But I think Corey Undlin has done an okay job considering. However, I mean, there are just some personnel issues there and, and some odd decisions there and there have been the collapses and obviously Sunday does not look good on him considering what happened in the second half and he, they didn't get enough pressure to me uh, or enough blitzes that got home on Alex Smith who's not the most fleet of foot so I don't know I think it, the blame goes around but I think that that's maybe a little bit too harsh of an assessment but you know, blaming, I think, goes everywhere when it comes to how badly the defense is playing. It goes to players, it goes to coaches, it goes to scheme, all three, without a doubt. And the last question comes from True Pistons fan, who's at T Pistons fan. I'm just putting this in here because it's been asked over and over why hasn't Patricia been fired yet? And the answer is because they're still in it. I mean, that's just the reality. They're still in it. They're winning games. They're fighting in games. To me, that's why he still has a job. Because it hasn't been great football. They haven't beaten good teams. But the record is what it is. And they're 4-5. and five, And they're in-ish the playoff hunt. So can you get rid of a guy when you're still in the playoff hunt this late in the season? I mean, that at this point is punting on the year. And... I just don't think the Fords would do that. I don't think that that would send a good message. And I think at this point, you'll let it you'll let it play out how it's maybe going to play out. Now, they lose the next two, and, and you know where you sit, you know, at that point, I think. And, and maybe something happens with a natural break after Thanksgiving. But to me, they're still in it, and that's why it hasn't happened. But... You have to wonder what would have happened if they had lost to Washington, had blown a 21-point lead, whether that was something that could have been overcome. I don't know if it could have been. I obviously – ownership hasn't talked, so I don't know that for sure, but that would have been a really tough thing to overcome if you're Matt Patricia or if you're the Lions. Thanks, as always, for all of your questions. They were great. Not as many, I find, by the way, after wins instead of losses, or maybe people just feel like it's the same questions every week, which in some extent it is. So feel free to ask other questions. We can talk a little bit about boxing if you want, talk about MMA if you would like, talk about other teams, talk about the Lions, really. If you want to talk about writing and journalism, we can do that too. Uh, mailbag episode will probably be earlier next week just because of the Thanksgiving holiday. I'll let you know on that. 
I want to thank you all for listening. Thank my sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online. Feel free, please leave us a five-star review if you'd be so kind wherever you listen to your podcast. And make sure to download and subscribe. That is the most important thing. And with that, we will talk with you tomorrow.